everybody. Welcome back to the Tipsy Ghost. We're your tipsy hosts, Sarah, Sarah, Lindsay. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey. Okay, so there have been two pretty big unsolved murders that have been solved recently. I'm going to say allegedly solved because (laughs) there has not been a trial or anything. There have just been arrests made. Okay. So the Delphi murders. I've heard of that. There were the two young girls who were out on a walk in Indiana, and there was video footage from one of their cell phones of a guy in his voice. And that's like the only clue we have, but you couldn't see his face. And this happened in 2017, and it's been unsolved since, and they just made an arrest recently. Yeah. And the Long Island serial killer, there was an arrest made recently. So two unsolved cases that we're seeing movement on. I want to know what you guys is, like, what is an unsolved case you want to see solved next? I'm ready. D.B. Cooper. Deeps. <laughs> I heard um, that there has been an arrest made in the Tupac Shakur murder. It's incredible. There's been some pretty fascinating documentaries about that. Somewhere in Las Vegas, Something. they showed up at some guy's home and made an arrest. I'm sure we'll find out more, but I am fascinated. For sure. I can't wait to hear more. I want to see John Benet Ramsey. Yeah, but there's progress being made on that one, too. There is. And there's been a lot of, especially since that documentary came out recently, like within the past couple of years. Yeah. It was not who I thought it was. There. Allegedly. I have my suspects. But I want to see it, like, solved mm-hmm. for real. I don't know which documentary you're talking about, but was it the brother? No. Allegedly, no. Allegedly, the current no. Person was it the there... mom covering up for the brother? It's nobody in the family. Interesting. It's. I mean, it's a sad case. But of course, I yeah. just feel like we need to know. That and the Madeline need to McCann know these one are the ones I want Madeline to know. McCann, there's Madeline also McCann. being progress made on that one. Ooh, there is. Natalie Holloway, there's progress being made on that one. <sighs> yes, they Holloway. made an arrest in that. Oh, well, Johan or whatever. They expedited they him right back extradited to, him. Not yes. expedited. <laughs> he was they, they extraditedly extradited him. Yes. expeditedly. That's exactly what I was going to say. You beat me to it. They got him here fast. Gosh. <laughs> um, the yogurt shop murders is another one I would like to see solved. Oh, yeah. That, that one was insane but i don't know if we'll see that one solved because there's literally like no dna evidence left behind right we didn't say the most famous unsolved case the zodiac killer oh yeah i would love to see that one solved yeah i really hope that we're getting close (laughs) it's so frustrating because all these cases that well i would like to say that all these took place before like dna and technology was really a factor but that delphi murders just happened in 2016 and yeah there's just like nothing left. Right. Ugh. So I changed my answer. I was John Benet Ramsey, but I'm thinking Zodiac. It's got to be the number one I want to see solved. Okay. Yeah. I also feel like there's a ton of unsolved crimes that have not yet gotten the spotlight. Due oh, to of course. 100%. Oh, for sure. Demographics, maybe, yeah. that I feel like deserve the spotlight. And now I want to know about these cases that I don't know about and what the resolution is. Well, there's a whole unsolved true crime thread on reddit that you can go and look at i look at that for ideas sometimes i'm like good idea let me torture the sarahs with an unsolved yeah thanks so speaking of true crime <laughs> speaking of true crime i got a true crime for you but it is solved oh praise be you're What's welcome the topic? True, true crime i wasn't ready <laughs> I, I i panicked true crime. <laughs> I, yeah, true crime you went very quickly and i was drawing it out it we didn't mesh well but that's okay none of you guys are ready for it i am prepared <laughs> always Remember a while ago, I talked to you guys about how I've been watching like interrogation interviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yes, this you is did one a story of on stories. One. Okay, and this is a fascinating one. I and like you, fascinating interrogation stories. It's a more well-known one, and okay. I think the one I talked about last time. This is the tale of Sherry Rasmussen. 
Okay. We are going to go to Los Angeles, California. Laka. Mm. And we are going to start in about the 1970s, 1980s, end of 1970s into the 1980s. Let's go back to about like early 1980s to the University of California, Los Angeles, a.k.a. UCLA. And this is going to be about John Rutten and Stephanie Lazarus. They were two friends who dated on and off for years throughout college. John was a mechanical engineer major and Stephanie was a political science major. And they lived in the same dorm, had mutual friends and would hook up from time to time. Stephanie had a little bit stronger of feelings than John did. Okay. Borderline obsessed is what some people called it. She would steal his clothes when he was showering. Oh my God. And took pictures of him in his underwear while he slept. John reported later that the relationship was nothing more than, quote, necking and fooling around. Oh, necking. (laughs) Oh, that's cute. They graduate college and he goes on to work as an engineer and Stephanie goes on to work as an LAPD officer. John later meets Sherry, who was a nurse and worked as a director of nursing. So Stephanie threw John, because they were still friends, she threw John a surprise birthday party on his 25th birthday. At the time, she did not know he was, like, dating anyone, let alone, like, having a serious relationship. But when she learned this, she wrote a letter to his mother. That is weird. Quote, I'm truly in love with John, and the past year has really torn me up. I wish it didn't end the way it did, and I don't think I'll ever understand his decision. Yeah, never trusted John. Don't ever write a letter to his mom. Oh, exactly. Never trust a John. That's true. In her journal, she also wrote, I quote, I really don't feel like working. I found out that John is getting married. So she was devastated. Man. Stephanie was. That's rough. Um, She was very depressed. She visited John several times at his condo. And even while he was engaged to Sherry, they had sex. John said this was. Okay, John. God damn it, John. <laughs> John said this known. was to give her closure. No, that's not how he gives me oh, closure. Oh, my God. What a dick. <laughs> he wasn't acting the best at this point. I will. You think? Yeah. I will say that. All right. So John is engaged to Sherry. Um, During their engagement, Stephanie brought some skis to John's condo and asked him to wax them and said nobody else could do it but him. Dad, nobody can do it as good as you. (laughs) You wax my skis. Is that what Stephanie sounds like? Yeah. I love it. She sounds just like um, Jeff the Mongoose. (laughs) (laughs) It's me. It's me, Stephanie. (laughs) I forgot about Jeff. I'm hiding in your walls. (laughs) She she probably was. (laughs) I'm hiding in your walls with my skis. <laughs> tip tap, tip tap. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Sherry. She pops out and only has un- underwear. <laughs> she comes out from the ceiling with her skis. <laughs> she slides down the stairs in her waxed up skis. Exactly. In his dirty underwear. <laughs> All right. So Sherry is getting some bad vibes. <laughs> you don't say. And she told John Same. this. She was like, Stephanie's being weird. She's. Showing up at random times. (laughs) Stephanie even showed up to Sherry's job, which was at the hospital, wearing like very revealing like workout clothes. So she was like basically trying to intimidate her. She even showed up once to their house when John was at work and she was in full uniform with her gun and everything. Oh, jeez. So Sherry's like, listen, I'm uncomfortable. And John's like, listen, we are just friends. Nothing is going on between the two of us. Except they're sleeping together. <laughs> just once. It happened just once. Uh, for closure. Things did not. Yeah. Okay. Listen, Sherry knew something was up. She knew. Yeah. She knew. Girl. So she was pretty uncomfortable with Stephanie's behaviors and even asked John to stop seeing her. John told her to ignore Stephanie, told her she's not a threat. 
blah, 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 said we never dated. Sherry's father, Nails, he's kind of the VIP, not the VIP. MVP. Yeah, he's kind of the MVP throughout this entire story. So he, Sherry is telling her dad everything that's going on. Later, Nels told police that Stephanie had visited Sherry at her office to tell her that things weren't over between her and John and, quote, if I can't have John, no one else will. Mm. Mm. So she told her dad that she felt like Stephanie was stalking her and harassing her, but she's a police officer. What is she going to do? So John and Sherry, they get married in November of 1985. Despite everything, they still get married. Okay. We're going to go to February 24th, 1986. So three months later. John leaves to go to work in the morning. Sherry was scheduled to give a speech at work that day and wanted to prepare for it. So she decided to stay home in the morning and then go to work later. At about 9.45 a.m., a neighbor noticed that their garage door was open, but there was no car in the garage or driveway. And 15 minutes later, John called the home, but didn't reach anybody. Phone just kept ringing. Sherry's sister during this day was also calling the home, but was not able to get an answer. And John said later he repeatedly called the home and never got a message. Like the answering machine was not on. At noon, two men approached a neighbor and gave them a purse that they had found. So they were working as gardeners for the condo and had found it laying outside and they just gave it to a neighbor. And it was later discovered to be Sherry's purse. A maid was cleaning a nearby unit in the condo and said that she heard two people fighting around 1230 p.m. She assumed it was a domestic dispute and did not call the police. John returns home in the evening and finds that the garage door is open and there is broken glass on the driveway. So right away, he's like, something is up. He had given Sherry a BMW when they got married and it was missing. So he knew that Sherry was not going into work that morning and he found it weird that she had left and not told him about it and also found it weird that the answering machine was not on because anytime they left the house, they put the answering machine on to take calls. So he goes inside and finds Sherry dead on the living room floor, shot three times in the chest. Oh. So there were signs of a struggle. There was a porcelain vase that was broken over her head. There was a bloody handprint next to the burglar alarm's panic button. Oh, that's awful. That's sad. Like, yeah, it was like her reaching for it and didn't get there in time. That's sad. Uh, furniture was disturbed. There was a broken glass, like I said, from a broken window. Lots of things were amiss. So he, of course, calls 911 right away. She also appeared to have been bound at some point and had many defensive wounds on her, so she fought She fought hard. There was a bruise all over her face, and they think this was from, like, the muzzle of the gun, and they found a quilt that had bullet holes in it, so they think they, like, silenced it. Oh, jeez. She had a bite mark on her arm, and this is important. This will come into play later. <gasps> So LAPD detectives investigated, and they concluded that this was a burglary gone wrong. They said Sherry was in a bathrobe and a nightgown and was obviously not expecting any guests. The maid who heard arguing reported she didn't hear gunshots. She assumed, like I said, that it was a domestic dispute, so she didn't call the police. And there was a burglary that happened in the same, like, neighborhood a day later where they were robbed at gunpoint. Nobody died, but that's why police were like, okay, this is just a burglary that's going on. There was electronic equipment that was stacked at the top of the stairs. So it seemed like they weren't expecting her to be home. It was the middle of the day. They were trying to take all this equipment, blah, blah, blah. But nothing was actually missing from the home except for their marriage certificate. That's a weird thing to get stolen. And they think that the burglars, 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 <laughs> burglars, <laughs> the people who burgled. <laughs> 
Burg- <laughs> people who burgled Burglars. burglars um they think that they took her car as a getaway car <laughs> and that's why her car was missing yes which the bmw was found about a week later nothing in it of significance as far as evidence not the marriage license no the marriage license was still missing lead detective at the time lyle mayer lyle mayer that is a name if you're southern yeah but he's in la no for you saying it how would you say it lyle lyle how do i say it lyle lyle Lyle. (laughs) like a good old sheriff (laughs) shut your front door (laughs) shut my friend i would say lyle mayer Lyle Mayer. <laughs> Did I say it right? No. That sounds like you're mocking me. Uh, <laughs> Lyle Mayer. That's perfect. Okay. Okay, good. Um, so he was the lead detective at the time. <laughs> That's all I was trying to say. So, of course, number one suspect at the time. Who do you look at first? Um, the spouse. The spouse. The spouse. It's always the spouse. Ding, ding, ding. Until it's not. John was very quickly ruled out. He was obviously, like, grieving. It was very apparent to them. And he had a pretty solid alibi all of his co-workers vouched he had been at work all day and had never left okay okay so he was ruled out so then they went with the burglary theory john eventually moved out of la um just to get a new start and get away but sherry's parents never quit harassing the police and mayor for basically an arrest they said look she felt like she was being harassed by his ex-girlfriend stephanie but Although this was noted, Stephanie was an LAPD officer, so they pushed it to the side. Mayor's partner, Steve Hooks, he found that the bite mark was unusual because usually these are inflicted by women during struggles, not men. Men don't bite. Women bite. Weird. Hmm. Wouldn't have thought about that. they said women are biters and scratchers, and normally women aren't out there trying to rob homes. That's kind of a male thing. And from the other burglary that happened in the neighborhood, they were both male suspects. So the suspected burglars remained at large for years. They never really found them. And Sherry's family offered a reward and nothing. But this is L.A. They're busy. The police department is busy. So there was gang wars. There was a crack epidemic. They didn't have the time and the resources to devote to solving her murder is what I'm trying to get at. Nels, Sherry's dad, he wrote a letter to the chief of the LAPD saying he suspected that Stephanie was involved, but he was told, quote, he watched too much television. Ugh. Yeah. Hmm. So of note, Sherry was six feet tall and she was in really good physical shape. So her family doubted that she would not have been able to hold her own. Somebody had the upper hand from the beginning. This was not some like interrupted burglary where they were just able to all of a sudden get the upper hand. Right. It sounded premeditated is what we're getting at, especially because they used the quilt to muffle the sound. Right. So we're going to fast forward to 1989. John calls. It's a good year. It is a good year. Yeah. Not for them. John calls the lead detective mayor and asks if he is, quote, absolutely sure that there was no evidence linking Stephanie with Sherry's death. And of course, mayor was like, no, of course not. We've never even suspected her. Right. So he reunites with Sherry and they have sex. Oh, oh God. Come on, John. I'm even more disappointed. <laughs> the fact that he had to call the investigator and be like, are you sure she's not involved just in my wife's murder? Sure. <laughs> like, it's been a while. I just need to double check before I go back okay. to like small stuff. I was going to do it anyways. There was some doubt in his mind. <laughs> I bet he was going to do it anyways. I, I really do. Years go by. Mayor retires. A new detective is assigned. And he told the family, no, look, there's no new leads. Sherry's father offered to pay for DNA testing on any evidence in 1993. And 
DNA evidence was becoming more prevalent. Technology was there. The police said that they had to have a suspect to do this testing, and they had no suspect, so they couldn't do it. So Stephanie is still working for the LAPD. She even was working as, like, she worked for D.A.R.E. She became a detective. She married a fellow police officer. (laughs) She was an instructor in the police academy. So she keeps moving up in the police force. John moves on. He remarries as well. We're going to keep fast forwarding. Late 1990s, DNA testing is again becoming more widely used. So the LAPD formed a new unit that would look through cold cases using DNA testing. But it wasn't until 2004 that another criminalist, Jennifer Francis, was able to analyze the DNA from Sherry's murder. But some of the evidence was missing. Damn it. Another detective checked it out in 1993, and it was never returned. The one DNA that she was able to find was from the bite mark. And it was like in an envelope in the medical examiner's office, like way back in the freezer. So Frances didn't find any matches in the database when she ran the bite mark, but she found that the saliva was by a female. Okay. Which completely threw their original theory of a burglary case completely off. So she found a report of a third-party female who had harassed the victim at her job and residence before Sherry's murder, but nobody was listed as who this third-party female was. Hmm. So Frances, Jennifer Frances, she goes to the detectives on the case and asks if this woman had been investigated back then. And he said, quote, oh, you mean the LAPD detective? <sighs> he then said that this detective was a former girlfriend, but was a detective and quote, she's not a part of this. They knew. Because no other detectives would pursue this. And she's not a detective herself. She's just analyzing the DNA. She was like, I couldn't go anywhere with it. I was stuck. So the evidence went back into the files. So that was in 2004. We're going to fast forward five years to 2009. Okay. L.A. crime has declined a little. So now they are able to have detectives look at cold cases. So they reassign it to detectives Jim Nuttall and Pete Barba. And they review the case and decide to pursue it. So right away, they were like, this burglary theory is completely off. This is not right. This is some female DNA. Let's start over from the beginning. So they looked at this as a murder, not a burglary case gone wrong. So they theorized that the burglary was staged to throw off police. Many things didn't add up. It was committed in broad daylight, which is not usual. All jewelry and money was left behind. The condo was in a gated complex, so it's not like it was an easy hit. It's surrounded by other units where people would be home, and the door had no forced entry. There was also an alarm system that was never activated. And forensics supported this theory. On top of the, so remember how they said there was like some electronic equipment stacked at the stairs? On top of one of those equipment was a blood stain in the shape of a thumb. It had no print, but the blood was Sherry's. What? So that shows that somebody was wearing a glove. Okay. And because it was Sherry's blood, they stacked it after her death. Mm. I feel like I know the answer. I'm just waiting for it to happen. (laughs) So they found five female suspects after reviewing everything. Um, They didn't even realize that Stephanie was a police officer until they called John and spoke to him, and he mentioned that she was a police officer in their force over the phone. By then, she was a hired detective working on art theft cases as part of the Commercial Crimes Division. Because Stephanie is one of these five suspects, they are like, look, we got to be super careful here. So they ranked her as the least likely suspect, since the records said that her and John had ended their relationship long before the murder. According to who? (laughs) According to John. According to to her. Okay. (laughs) It's not me. It's not me. So they start working their way through the other four women and all four pretty much quickly get 
eliminated as suspects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That leaves Stephanie. So the detectives kept this very closely to themselves. They did not tell anyone. Smart. Her husband also was working for the force at this time, oh, so gosh. they had to be very careful. He was a detective. She had many colleagues and friends in the department. Anyone could have tipped her off. So one of the reasons they were careful is because, A, if she is the killer, she could have been violent. She could have done something drastic. They didn't know what she was capable of. If she's not the killer, they have falsely accused their coworker, who has a completely clean record, no disciplinary actions, no complaints, like nothing. Yeah, that'd be awkward, <laughs> right? You can't just accuse your coworker of murder. So they referred to her as number five, and that was it. Okay. So they would work on the case only after hours or behind closed doors, and they came up with cover stories to explain why they were looking into her personnel records. So also while they're doing this, they're looking into her life from the mid-1980s to see what was going on back then. And they find that the bullet wounds they could tell was by a thirty-eight gun, and that is what LAPD officers have as their off-duty gun or their backup gun. So records showed that she owned a thirty-eight gun at that time and reported it stolen to Santa Monica Police not her own department, but Santa Monica, 13 days after the murder. The location she reported it stolen from was near a pier, and they think that she threw it into the ocean. Hmm. Well, of course she did. So, no murder weapon. They know that they don't have that. But they are detectives, and they know murders. So they pretended like they were murderers as a detective, and they're like, how would we do it? Well, we do it on the day off work, which Stephanie... Had the day off work that day. Mm-hmm. They were like, we wouldn't use our duty gun because that's easily traced. You'd have to dispose of it. And if you lose your duty gun, you have to report it. That's There's suspicious. Big consequences, blah, blah, blah. So they're like, we'd use our backup gun, which Stephanie's backup gun matched the bullets. And they're like, and we would cover our crime scene. Make it look like it was not a real crime scene. Make it look like a burglary. Mm-hmm. All right. So S- Sherry's dad, again, gets involved. And he tells the detectives about Stephanie's harassment before Sherry's murder, and none of this was in the files, despite him telling the prior detectives all about it. That's so frustrating. At this point, they're like, okay, Stephanie's our prime suspect. So they tell their superiors, and they arrange to discreetly collect her DNA because they can't do it without a warrant because they know that's going to tip her off. So while she was off duty running some errands, she left a cup in the trash and police went and got it. Just like the cup in the trash. Classic. Just like with the Golden State Killer. Classic. They went in the trash. You need to be careful about what you leave in the trash. (laughs) (laughs) Don't throw your DNA in the trash. You cannot throw your cups away in public trash. Actually, you're a murderer. Murderers, please do that so we can find you. Yeah, you know what? Like if you're, take back what I say. That's a, to me. that's a great idea, actually. Um, throw all of your cups in the trash. <laughs> Make sure you lick them. Cigarette butts right there yeah, in yeah. front of everyone. Um, and also, like, dip your fingertips in, in something. Right, you know what? Write your name on it like from Starbucks. Ink. And then grasp it. Firmly grasp it. <laughs> like, you don't, give them your, you don't give them your real name. Give them your fake name. Like, Golden State Killer. Yeah. <laughs> lick the entire rim of the yeah. cup. Make sure uh, it's all over there. Touched everything. And then just set it out gently for us. Yeah. Thank you. All right, so they got their sample. <laughs> They'll never find you. <laughs> and s- I'm I'm guessing that's how it happened. Yes, that's yeah. exactly how it happened. Okay. Shocking completely at nobody at this point. It matched the DNA perfectly from the bite mark on Sherry. Oh shit. Did it match her teeth marks? Yeah. They did not they did not do a dental. <laughs> they just had the saliva and Come that was on. enough. I was raised to believe that these dental imprints were They're way more important line. because of Ted Bundy. <laughs> that must be it. The only case that I can think of that was Dental imprint. <laughs> my dental imprint was Ted Bundy. <laughs> I thought it was way important. 
I'll it's find not- you another. I'm going to put that on my to-do list. Thank okay. you. All right. So they're like, listen, we know we got her, but we got to be careful. So now they inform the senior officers about that. And it was transferred to the robbery homicide division, which handled the high profile cases. And they had to plan her arrest very, very carefully. So June 2009, dozens of police officers get up before dawn and they were briefed on a search warrant that would later be executed. So it's not in place yet. They were to wait outside of her home and outside of the city's police station where she worked and just wait for further instructions. Specific detectives from the robbery homicide division who were selected for their lack of connection to Stephanie. So they didn't know her. They called her and they said, hey, we need you at Parker Center, which is another department headquarters. And we got some art, some guy involved in an art theft case that we need you to question. Not the art theft. She's only one of two that can help. <laughs> They're stealing the Mona Lisa. <laughs> from not even here. Los Angeles. <laughs> the LA Mona Lisa. <laughs> Hurry. We need you, staff. Before the Mona Lisa is gone. <laughs> You're the only one who can save us. So this location, the Parker Center, was picked very specifically, because when you check in there, you have to surrender your gun and Ooh. your equipment belt to even enter the building. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I like this. Smart. They didn't know what she was capable of. Yeah. And so, like, this is where the interrogation video is fascinating because they literally lead her in and she thinks she's questioning a suspect. And then they just start. So tell us about your ex-boyfriend, John. Do you know anything about his wife? And she's like, what? What? It was years ago, guys. I don't remember. Sure you don't. Uh huh. <laughs> so the detectives who questioned her were not the detectives who worked on the case. It was Greg Stearns and Dan Yaramillo. And they told her, you know, hey, we got someone who needs to come talk to you. So she enters and find that there's no suspect. You are the suspect. You are the suspect. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. They tell her that they're just trying to tie up some loose ends in Sherry's case. And they were like, look, your name was in the records because you used to date John. And she's like, well, yeah, but that was years ago, guys. That was so long I'm ago. I'm married. He's married. We've moved on. But yep. also she died years ago. What? And they're like, we brought you all the way out here because, you know, we don't want gossip to start. We don't want your coworkers to see you in an interrogation room. We're doing this to protect you. Blah, blah, blah. And it took over an hour before she's like, are you accusing me? <laughs> Am I a suspect here? And you can just see like where she gets it. And it's kind of hilarious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Did they read her her Miranda rights? So we'll get to that. Oh. So you could see like how this. careful these two guys are being. Like they will push a little bit on the murder and then they'll back off and they'll talk about random things like in her career. Yeah, and because stuff she like should this. know she shouldn't even be talking about any of this. Yep. So they're like being oh, very boy. careful and not pushing her too hard because they know that she'll shut down if they do. So she kept claiming she had little memory of even meeting Sherry because, quote, it was a million years ago. But gradually she started revealing more and more with their questioning and finally catches on and accuses them of considering her a suspect. They mention it's possible we have DNA evidence from the crime scene and ask for her DNA, even though they already had it, which, of course, she refuses. <laughs> She's like, I'm not giving you my DNA. And she... Leaves the room. They're like, you're free to go. You're not under arrest. You can leave. So she gets up and leaves, goes into the hallway where all the officers are waiting. And they immediately place her under arrest, cuff her, and take her back into the interrogation room. What? And that's where her Miranda rights are read. I love this so much. And so they, like, say, you understand you have the right to remain silent. She's like, yes. And she says yes to all of them. And he goes. She's like, I understand, but I'm going to talk anyway. Right. (laughs) Well, after he reads the rights, he goes. Now, do you want to talk with us? And she goes, absolutely not. <laughs> okay. But she did all that before. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So once they placed her under arrest, they called the other deputies and they said, listen, the search warrant is a go. And officers began searching her home, her car, and her office. Okay. So they basically wanted to have her under arrest before they did that. Because, again, they did not want to tip her off. Sure. They find her journal from the 1980s, which... What? Who keeps your journal 30 plus years later? Taylor Swift. Listen, my yes. diary said I can spell Mississippi really fast. <laughs> M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. I have a crush on somebody named Brain. It was Brian, but I spelled it wrong. <laughs> I just like... How, so come get me. <laughs> reading it, how would you know that you could spell Mississippi fast? You just have to read it fast. <laughs> Obviously. It's implied. You have to... I wrote it really fast, so therefore you must read it really fast. <laughs> Should have parentheses. Please read this very fast. <laughs> I just assumed you would. Um, her computer, her home computer also showed a lot of internet searches for John during the 1990s after he left LA. Wait, how does this computer what? still have... <laughs> That's what I'm you saying. think she would have a newer computer from that long ago? Oh, God. I'm sorry. Does the FBI know what I searched for when I was <laughs> what like... What did I search in the 90s? <laughs> I've searched for some crazy shit before. This is like brand new. I searched for crazy stuff right now. I yeah, know. Yeah. We're probably on a, like a watch list, but like... Ooh. Oh, boy. Okay. Well... Okay. It's going to... Lessons are learned. <laughs> listen, if you're upset about the cover-up, you're, you're going to get more upset now. So after her arrest, she's in jail before trial, and she was allowed to retire early from the LAPD. Full pension. All right. She didn't have a bail hearing for six months, and when she finally did, the judge surprised everyone by settling a $10 million cash bond, which was higher than both what the defense and the prosecutors asked for, because the judge said that she was high risk to flee and she could get weapons easily with her connections in the LAPD. Okay, so... The judge is on it. The judge is like, no picked. But they allowed her to retire. You know, that's on... <laughs> they probably gave her... That's on them. That's a them severance problem. Severance package, too. Probably did. Her lawyer starts filing appeals literally left and right. Like, it's ridiculous. He would file one. It would get denied. He'd file another one. Blah, blah, blah. Um, some of the ones that he filed was to basically erase the search warrants, stating that they were based off of old information... I thought you were because going to say erase the search history. No, <laughs> but it did involve that. He said, "Listen, this home that you guys searched was not where she was living when the murder occurred." Okay, and, and? he goes, "Things were taken that were not around when the murder happened." Okay, but were and? things taken <laughs> What's that your were point? around? And the judge was like, "Uh, no, all this evidence is being admitted." Yeah. <laughs> um. So her lawyer files another motion to bar the interrogation tape because he said. Basically, she was compelled to answer these questions as a police officer. She would face disciplinary action for refusing to cooperate, a.k.a. she wouldn't have a choice. Prosecution was like, uh, she wasn't under arrest at that point, so she didn't have to answer any of our questions. And the judge was like, yeah, that. Yeah, she should know that. You Dennis. never had to answer these questions. You weren't under arrest. You chose to answer these questions. This is literally so your he's job. just throwing stuff and see what, sees what sticks. It's just like delaying the inevitable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the case goes to trial, and it's huge. I mean, this is an LAPD officer. This is a cold case of 20 years. It's a love triangle. It's widely publicized. And it begins in early 2012. John shows up to testify. He cries many times on the stand, and he said having sex with Stephanie while engaged was a mistake. The defense poked holes in the DNA bite. They said that it was improperly stored. No doubt. And then there was a hole in the tube left in the envelope, and someone could have added her DNA to that envelope. Who? 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 It was improperly stored because of the LAPD's incompetency. 
After several days of deliberation, Stephanie was found guilty of first-degree murder at the age of 52 in March 2012. She was sentenced to 27 years to life in prison and is currently serving her sentence at the California Institution for Women in Corona and will be eligible for parole in December 2034. You know, that's not very long. It's really not. Um, There's some problems still here in the department, though. Evidence was introduced in the trial. It became very apparent that not all of the evidence was available. Recordings and transcripts of interviews from the 80s from Sherry's father and from John were all missing. And all of the interviews dealing with Stephanie were just gone. Both men on stand testified that they specifically remember talking to the detectives about Stephanie, but nobody can find evidence of these interviews. The only mention of Stephanie in the initial investigation is a brief note in which John confirmed she was a former girlfriend and that's it. So two lawsuits were obviously filed based off of this. One was filed by Sherry's parents, which was dismissed, and the other was filed by a whistleblower, Jennifer Francis. I remember her. The DNA tester. Yeah. She said there was misconduct and that she and others suffered retaliation and harassment from their superiors when they tried to report this and take it further. It's uh, it's not a good ending, though. <laughs> I know, but you gotta... I, mean, I know, she I'm tries. Glad she tried. Furthermore, records show that when Sherry's father offered to pay for DNA analysis way back in 1992, forensic evidence was being transferred by a detective, and this was a routine transfer of records, but the evidence could not be located, suggesting it was lost on purpose. Mm. The bite mark was just accidentally left behind. So that was supposed to be missing, too, but... It got left behind because it got forgotten about, and that is what got the killer. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was almost an unsolved case. 2010, Sherry's family files a civil lawsuit against the city and LAPD, and they allege there was a cover-up and allowed that Stephanie was able to review the case files over the years involving this case, and that the LAPD was hostile and aggressive towards them, which violated their civil rights. Ultimately, the city was found to be immune from any liability, except for the civil rights violation, which the judge dismissed. The family appealed. City quoted the statute of limitations, which the court, the court upheld and said their time to sue was limited once they broke off contact with LAPD in 1998. So the latest they could have filed a lawsuit for was in 2000. <laughs> mm-hmm. So family moved this to the California Supreme Court, which declined to hear the case in March 2013. Frances, the DNA lady, she filed her suit in late 2013, and she said this was not the only case where DNA evidence was ignored purposefully by the department. Some of these were famous cases that involved Rodney Alcala, the Hillside Stranglers, yep, all victims that had DNA evidence that she said was dismissed by her supervisors when she attempted to bring it to light. And there's a very long story of how she was ultimately harassed and threatened by both the city and her superiors, and in 2019, the jury found cause with the city so she lost jeez um stephanie filed an appeal after her sentencing and three judges heard her appeal and in june 2015 upheld her conviction so she will serve the rest of her sentence in jail well there's that there's that they there's that that they basically caught her by accident because that bite mark saliva was supposed to be thrown out by whoever threw it out yeah and it wasn't because it got forgotten and that's how they got her so it's like, yay, we got the we got the person and the family has justice. But do they really have justice? Because the LAPD police officers covered this up for a long time. Ugh. Well, that is a very sad tale. Um, thank you for a resolution. 
You're welcome. So we know who did it, and she is serving her time and will hopefully never get out. I'm glad she's serving time. I don't think it's long enough for what she did. 27 years is when she got away with it for almost just as long. Yeah, exactly. She got away with it for 20 plus years. So that's my that's my uh, true crime for you guys. I would recommend you go and watch her interrogation video because it's kind of fascinating to just see her start connecting the dots when she's like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. Why are mm-hmm. you asking me about this? Mm. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Especially for not giving us an unsolved. You're welcome. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right. Thanks so much, guys. You can always find us at thetipsyghost.com with our socials linked from there or send us an email at thetipsyghost at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star rating and a great review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate it and it really does help. All right. We will catch you guys next week. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.